Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. That's great. Look, this is, this is how you partner with us. It's very, very simple. We need people who will pray with us and stand with us. And so this is how you know when you need to pray for Ian Green and his team. When you're having a time of prayer and your mind goes blank, that's the Holy Spirit reminding you to pray for Ian Green and his team. Now, I know up until now, you thought that was the devil making your mind go blank, but actually, it's the Holy Spirit. So when your mind goes blank, who do you need to pray for? Beautiful, wonderfully brainwashed. That's a great thing. <laughs> Look, I'm excited to be with you. I'm excited to know what has gone on in the church over the last five, six, seven years. You are in an amazing and an incredible season. And my, my deep passion, my deep passion is that we don't keep all the joy in a building like this. My, my great passion is, is that we get Jesus in the street. We get Jesus in the office, we get Jesus in the mayor's place, we get Jesus in the school, and I am absolutely passionately committed to helping people to become a community-changing church. And I'm going to share on, on that, and look, look, it's a short message, we'll be out of here by 12 o'clock, and so that's really good. I've got some resources, because I can say very little tonight, but there are some resources outside on the uh, merch stand. And so there's a book there called Checking Into Faith. Now, this is, a, this is a book. We do a Bible exposition, and then we give stories of how God used, uh, used the Bible, used faith in our lives to bring miracles to take place. There's probably 25 to 35 stories in this book. They are live, real, authentic stories. Now, it may well be you have enough faith. You say, Ian, yeah, please, please, no more faith. Thank you. Please, please, no. No, if I end up with more faith, I'm going to be levitating before breakfast. It's going to be ridiculous. Uh, this is not for you, right? This is not for you. If that's you, this is not for you. But if you want more faith, you want an injection of faith, you want to know practically how faith can get into your life, not just have a theory of faith, but actually have an experience of faith, I recommend this book to you. It's available at the end. And there are other, some other recordings there that may help you. There's one year called Bringing Heaven Down to Earth. How do we get heaven into our office without looking religiously weird? How do we get heaven into our school, into our university? How do we get heaven into the mayor's office? It's there. It, it'll help you. There's stuff on there. And then there's one there called the Community changing church. How do we change, permanently change Florence forever? We'll fill in this room six, seven, eight, nine, ten, nine or ten times on a weekend is only a part of the process. We have to do other things if we want this whole area to come alive with the kingdom of God. And so if that's of interest to you, Please uh, grab, grab them They're at the back uh, on the stand, and so trust they will be a blessing to you. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, just be embarrassed. <laughs> Can't imagine you'd come to church without a Bible. Some people are weird. They do that. All right, Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm reading from verse 1. Early in the spring... In the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving King 
I, w- I was serving the king his wine. I had never appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me. You look deeply troubled. I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king asked, well, what, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? And I told him how long I would be gone, and he agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates, instructing them uh, instructing them to let me travel with safety through the territories uh, on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter to address to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber, and I will need it to make beams for the gates and for the temple fortress and for the city walls and for the house for myself. And the king granted my request because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. We are living in some incredible days of the church of Jesus Christ. Did you know there are remarkable things happening on the planet? Did you know that every single day, 292,000 people come to Jesus? You didn't like that? Let me tell you, that's, pre- that's pretty good for Wednesday. That's pretty good. That's pretty good for a Wednesday. Let me tell you that. Jesus says, I will build my church, and he is building his church in remarkable ways right across the earth. And we are, we are at a time where we're in a strategic time in God's purposes. And in this country, this is a strategic time in this country, we're at a pivotal place, whether we're either going to see riots or we're going to see revivals. And we need to wake up to the opportunity that is ahead of us. The Bible says this, Ezekiah understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. Do you know what to do? Do you know what to do to change this city? Do you know what to do to bring hope and life to people that are broken? Do you know what to do? Because Ezekiah had informed minds. They had ready hearts. They were submitted spirits. They were committed to the task. Let me say this first of all tonight. With God, there are times and seasons in God's economy. There are times and seasons in God's economy. It was in the month of uh, Kislev in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah began to pray. We don't have time to read that prayer tonight, but it's a powerful, it's a powerful prayer. He prayed in chapter 1, but it wasn't until the month of Nisan, that is April, Kislev is December, Nisan is April, that God answered Nehemiah's prayer. Do you understand there's a time for everything? We live in a quick fix world where we put the money in and we want the chocolate to come out. Spiritual disciplines, the spiritual rhythms of life are not always like that. They're not always immediate. 
There's oftentimes a season. There's a process to go to. In fact, the Bible says it's with faith and endurance that we inherit the promises of God. So even faith by itself is insufficient. You need endurance. You need patience. They need to be linked together as we begin to seize the promises of God in our lives. So Jesus, he didn't do very much for 30 years. Like Jesus would be, for somebody into time management, he would be a nightmare. <laughs> like they'd go, man, can you get off your... Look, you're on the planet. Please do, do something. Do something. But he understood the times and seasons. And at the appointed time, he set out on his ministry. We want stuff and we want it now. But as we read this passage, Nehemiah is deeply, deeply moved by the needs of his city. He is broken. He is moved deeply emotionally. I can I ask you tonight? How do you feel about Florence? How do you feel about these communities around us? No, no, no. I, I, don't give me a Christian answer. I, I'm asking you a real question here. I'm saying, how do you feel about them? Like, do you feel, do you feel sufficiently enough about them to inconvenience yourself so that people would have hope? Or have they got to fit into your calendar and fit into your schedule and fit into your rhythm of life? Nehemiah, he's moved. He is deeply moved. I think it was Bob Pierce who said this some years ago. To be significant in God's purposes, you have to ask God what is breaking his heart, then ask him to break yours too. See, the longer we're saved, the more removed we become from the, rea the reality of the world in which we were saved from. And some of us, we need a revisit. There was a pastor in our town. There was a pastor in our town, and the church was going well. It was going really well. But he was anxious. He was, he was, he was unsatisfied about the, the level and the number of people coming to Jesus. And so he got the elder board, the elder board to, to go on a pub crawl. Do you know what a pub crawl is? Do you know what a pub is? Good. I thought you spoke English here. <laughs> anyway, you can be wrong. Anyway, so he took, he took his elders on a pub call and he said, look, I want you to go into the pub. Would appreciate if you wouldn't buy a beer, get a soft drink. And what I want you to do, without being rude, I just want you to look around the room. And I want you to begin to pray for people that you see in the room. And I want you to wait. I don't want you to witness. I just want you to wait and see what, trans what transaction takes place in your own spirit. As you start praying and mixing with people who are not yet Christians. And they went from pub to pub. Eight, nine, ten pubs. It was a Friday night. They came, came to where their cars were parked. It wasn't a large town. Maybe 80,000, 90,000 people. Only had one nightclub. And now at... Quarter to 12 on a Friday night, there is a line 
400 yards long, four deep of young people waiting to start their evening at 11.45 at night. And the pastor's deeply moved because he's pretty excited that there was 70 young people at youth on Wednesday. But outside of this nightclub, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. They get back to the car park where the cars are parked and they began to talk and the brothers, the people, they just begin to break down and cry because they felt so disconnected from their community. Oh, they knew where it was to go to work, be an undercover Christian, come home, go to church, check in, come back Sunday morning, put your money in the bag, go back, watch a game. But absolutely, if if, if we want to get serious about changing Florence and this county and this area, do you know what we have to do? We have to inconvenience ourselves and end up going to where people are that are broken and beginning to feel the heart of Jesus for them. Say, Jesus, I need to know how you feel for these. Will you tell me how you feel for these people? So Nehemiah, Nehemiah prayed in chapter one and God answered in chapter two. And if you got that, Nehemiah prayed in chapter one and God answered in chapter two. I said Nehemiah prayed in chapter one and God answered in chapter two. I said God, I said Nehemiah prayed in chapter one and God answered in chapter two. It's pure coincidence. <laughs> you say, my, I don't seem to be having many prayers answered. Let me ask you, are you praying? It's only a thought. So you can't have any answers to prayer unless you pray. I don't mean spare tire prayers. Oh God, I'm in a mess, get me out of here. No, I mean disciplined, regimented, organized time when we communicate with Jesus on a daily basis. When I was growing up, when I was a new Christian, I was saved six weeks and one of the Leads in my church said to me, hey, Ian, how's your prayer life? I said, oh, fantastic. I pray every time I come to church. He says, well, you, you don't pray when you, no, no, I'm, no, that's risky. I said, risky. What? He said, what do you mean risky? No, 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 I read. I read in the Bible, like, people saying wrong prayers, fire comes down from heaven, burns them up. I said, I'm not risking that. It's, it's not on. He said, oh, mate, I, you, you need to come to my house. I went to his house every week. For six months, he said, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And he, he taught me the acrostics of prayer. I mean, you may well know this, P-R-A-Y. And we got into his lounge. We had dinner with his family. And we got into this other room. And he says, okay, and P, P that stands for praise. So, this, so there's lots of things you can praise God for. He's taking away your sins. You've got a hope. You've got a future. I mean, by the looks of it, you eat three or four or even five times a day. I mean... Uh, life is good, right? Life is good. It's fantastic. Look, you have lots of things to praise the Lord for. So this is what we're going to do. I'll praise the Lord first, then you praise the Lord, and then we'll move on to the next letter. Cool. So we came to R. He says, R. Now, R stands for the word repentance. That is, that is turning from everything that you know is wrong, confessing your sin. He says, you know, Ian, don't confess sin in a lump. Because if you confess him in a lump, you never take sin seriously. So 
So I'm 14 years of age. He says, so you just need to tell her, Lord, I've been selfish. Would you please forgive me? I've had lustful thoughts. I don't know how he knew that. Anyway, he says, just confess that. Just confess, confess it. So he says, this could be a little embarrassing. So we'll do this in silence. And when I'm finished, I'll say amen. And when you're finished, you say amen. So he did his thing. I don't know, 45 seconds, it was over. Like three days, I'm still there. This is A, A, Ian, A, pray for anything you think is important. Anything you think is important. Have you ever noticed that with new converts? If you've got a tough thing going on, don't get those, don't get those 40-year-old mature Christians to pray for stuff. Get those, absolute, get those Christians who've just come to Jesus that actually don't know what God can't do. Get them on. Get them on the prayer gig. Says Ian, pray for anything you think is important because if it's important to you, it's important to God. And anybody that has small children and you brought up a family, you know when that little when that little baby goes, he said my name. He said my name. Why did he hear that? Get the phone out. Record it again. He said my name. We are there, bending down, listening to every syllable. And do you know what? God is. Bending down, listening to every syllable, every heartbeat that comes through the articulation of our prayers through our mouths. Anything you think is important, is important. Then he says, okay, we'll do that. So I asked crazy, like I'm new, I know nothing, I'm not brought in the church, I know nothing. So I says, look, look Hayden, like I really like tennis, like like." Can I, can I pray that Jesus will let me win the tennis competition at school? Can you pray? Can I pray that? He says, well, you can pray that God will help you to play well. Okay, that'll work. That'll work. You can, have, you can pray that God will help you to play well. Okay, that'll be fine. Anything. Anything. But then he says, why? Pray for yourself. He says, you know, Ian, when you don't pray for yourself, do you know what happens? We have to pick up the bill. Because you're moany and grumpy and complain and you're a flipping misery to be around. Oh my, can you please pray for yourself? Have you, have you got a prayer language? Yeah, 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 I've got a prayer language. I've got baptism in the Spirit. I've got a prayer language. Oh, that's good because when you use your prayer language, the Bible says you are building yourselves up. Look, look, this is the gig, guys. If you have a prayer language, it's the most underused gift within Pentecostal world. that We don't understand the power of it because we don't exercise it. But look, this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll sign a guarantee tonight. If you pray in tongues for 20 minutes every day for 30 days, I guarantee you your life will look a lot different. And if it doesn't work, pastor will give you all your ties back. So this is my routine every day. Because you can speak in tongues anywhere at any time. I mean, it's, you need to be careful about that. But for me, I need triggers, right? I need a trigger to get me going. Most of us need triggers. So for me, when, when the alarm goes off, I turn it off. I get my feet on, on the floor to get out of bed. That's the trigger 
for me to speak in tongues. And I start speaking in tongues. Then I go into the shower. Oh, this is God healed. What happened? All right. Is that the way around? Wrong way around. Wrong way around. Is it that way? Yeah, that's the way. Okay. Sorry about that. It's not working. I need help. Someone help me. Thank you. So, then I'm drying myself, right? Then I'm getting dressed. Now, I know, on average, that will take me 15 to 19 minutes every morning. Well, I was going to get up and have a shower anyway. Like, you need a trigger to speak in tongues. It may be as you're driving to work. So you shut the door, thud, of your car. Turn off the flipping music. You don't need to listen to the news again. Turn it off. Thud, that's indication all the way to work, you begin to use your prayer language. Like if we don't pray, we don't get prayers answered. He prayed in chapter 1, and God answered in chapter 2. He prayed in chapter 1, God answered in chapter 2. I said he prayed in chapter 1, and God answered in chapter 2. Maybe, maybe the low level of prayer has been answered, maybe because we're not doing chapter 1 yet, and we need to get back into chapter 1 and begin to call upon the name of the Lord so we get the experiences of chapter 2. There are ways and means in God's economy. Because as he began to pray, the unexpected happened. Verse 2. Verse 2. He appeared before the king and he said, that's bad news. If you appear before the, sing, before the king, you had to be happy. He has so many pressures going on in his life. You didn't, you faked being sad. You never showed that you were sad. You faked it. You smiled. You were jovial. The king didn't want any more pressure. But the king noticed he was sad. That's a miracle. Like, why would he notice that? I tell you why he noticed that. Because Nehemiah had prayed in chapter 1, and God began to answer in chapter 2. Yeah. I used to have a proper job. I used to work for an insurance company, Pearl Assurance Company, and I, I worked in a city called Cardiff. Now, Cardiff is the capital of Wales. Now, you need to understand, I'm not English, I'm Welsh. Some of you don't know the difference. So if you call me English, I call you Mexican. It's simple. <laughs> so Cardiff is the capital of Wales. And I, that's where I worked. And, and I, I'm 17 years of age. It's my first kind of real job, I guess. And I took the job to work a year before to get, save some money to go to Bible college. And I'm... I'm there, and, and there's supposedly a manager of this 
13-story block called Mr. Davis. I say supposedly because no one has seen him for years. Like his picture was appearing on the monthly bulletin, but his live body had not been seen for a long time. And people were wondering, is he still here? Is he still breathing? When I got into that environment, I, I said to Jesus, Jesus, before I leave this company, I want a witness to Mr. Davis. So can we kind of work on that? So each day, every Monday, every Wednesday, there was a little church, Anglican church near the office. I slipped out there for my lunch hour. I began to pray for every single person in my office block. There were 32 of us in the office block on our level. Pray for everyone and pray for Mr. Davis that I would get a chance to talk to Mr. Davis. Well, I'm there eight, nine, 10 months. It's the week I'm leaving. Not seen Mr. Davis. Don't know if he's alive. I keep praying. It's the day I'm going to leave. Not seen Mr. Davis. It's lunchtime. Not seen Mr. Davis. It's now three o'clock in the afternoon and my phone rings. And the phone rings. And it's actually Mr. Davis's personal assistant. He says, oh, Mr. Green. Oh, that sounded pretty cool. He says, uh, Mr. Davis would like to see you before you leave the building today. Wow. So I go up to the 13th story. I go into this huge palatial office. There's a barrage of secretaries that I have to go through. I end up going into his office, which is about half the size of their auditorium. He shakes out his hand, he shakes my hand, he says, Ian, we understand you're leaving the company today. I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, uh, look, we had plans for you. Like we, we, we want to put you on a management track. We, we see potential in you. We, we, we really think you could be an asset to the company and we could create a great career for you. Like, is there anything I can say to you today? I know it's an hour before you leave the company, but is there anything I could say or offer to you that you'd actually stay in the company? I said, I don't think so. He said, well, would you mind telling me what you're going to do? When I went into the office... His person assistant says, you've got 15 minutes because he's back-to-back -back with appointments. It's okay. So I said, well, I'm actually, I'm actually going to Bible college. He says, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, why, why, why would you want to do a thing like that? <laughs> and so I begin to tell him the story of God in my life. I'm there for 45 minutes sharing the plan and the salvation of God in my life and how he could connect with Jesus. I prayed in chapter 1 and the, and the unexpected happened in chapter 2. Let me ask you, are the unexpected things happening in your life? If they're not, it's a pretty decent litmus says to say, you're really not hankering in prayer. You may be talking, but you're not actually hankering in prayer. You're not actually connecting with the divine God to intervene in the affairs of men because God is really interested about invading our world. He prayed in chapter 1. The un unexpected happened in chapter 2. But then the unbelievable can happen. Verse 4. The king said to him, All right, how can I help you? 
What do you want? What do you want? And I ask you tonight, what do you want? Do you know what you want? I discovered most people don't know what they want. Oh, God, I'm driving a 93 Toyota Corolla. Oh, God, if I just could come into victory. Victory and get a Golf 2001, that'd be so holy, holy, holy. What do you want? Do you know what you want? I mean, like we have one run at this life, people. We have one run. It's not like a DVD. You can't run it back and start again. Can't start, no, no. We're on. We're on the train, and it keeps on going forward. We've got one life. And I know about you. I want to make my life count. What do you want? See, I know what I want. Now, you may think this is crazy. You may think this is absolutely crazy. I was, I was with some people about 15 months ago, and they said to me, hey, and you're a bit of an old codger now, so, like, are you thinking about retirement? I said, retirement? That sounds like a demonic attack upon a person's life, retirement. <laughs> said, retirement? No retirement in the Bible. I said, well, what are you thinking? What, what do you feel God's got for you in the next era of your life? I said, and without saying anything, without even thinking, this is what I say. I want to train 10,000 city transformers out of my mouth. And then I'm shocked. I'm shocked at what I just said. Go, oh my gosh, have I, like, am I going into a seizure? What's gone wrong with me? I walk away from that conversation, and it's embedded in my spirit. I'm going, Jesus. That was a bit ridiculous, wasn't it? No, 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 Ian, that's, that's what I want. I said, well, I have no idea how that's going to happen. I have absolutely no idea how that's going to happen. Then I'm speaking for a friend in Gatineau in Canada, which is near Ottawa. He says, uh, Ian, you go to Romania a fair bit. I says, I do. He says, do you ever go to Timisoara? Oh, I said, I'm there in two weeks' time. He says, look, i got some friends. I think, I think you like them, and they're going to like you, and, and you should just go and have a coffee with them. So, okay, fine. So the people on the ground, I'm asking them to arrange this meeting with these people. I don't know who they are. So I said, look, we need, it's a courtesy visit. I need about 30 minutes. It'll be fine. Then the people on the ground says, no, 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 they want two hours. I said, two hours? That's a lot of coffee. Two hours. All right, okay. All right, let's go with it. So I get to these, this, these offices sit down in the chair and there's a man and a woman, husband and wife, and the woman looks at me, she starts to prophesy to me. She says, Ian, you've trained hundreds, you've trained thousands, you've trained thousands and thousands, but God says to you today, it's time to train ten thousands of ten thousands of ten, well, all the hair on my neck, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm wanting to levitate, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just holding myself down, like it's just so flipping incredible, right, it's just absolutely incredible, wow, see, what do you want? What do you want? I mean, most people, look, our revelation of God comes out in our prayer, in how we pray. So if you want to, if you want to know 
what you act, what, how much revelation you've got of God, let, 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 let me give you a plan. Next time you're praying, maybe on your own, stick your phone on, put it on record. And then pray as you would normally pray. And then when you're done, turn it off and listen to it back. And you're going to be shocked how small God is. You're going to be shocked that you've reduced God to two just a little bit bigger than yourself. You don't see him as the great I am, the creator of the universe. With him, nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible. What do you want? What do you want? You got one life, what do you want? What, parents you, families you, what, what do you want for your family? What do you want for your family? Oh, well, they'd be good boys. They'd be faithful to the church. Maybe they could get good at sport and look after us with a pension that they will earn from being superstars. That would be great. Wow. Is that it? Is that it? Is that it? This is what I want. I want to create a spiritual dynasty. I want to create a spiritual dynasty that will at least go on for 100 years. So when, when you have a 100-year plan for your family, you, your parenting changes. How you parent, that changes. What you do with your cash, that changes. What you do with your priorities, that changes. And so I'm out to build, I'm out to build a spiritual dynasty. I'm the first one saved in our life. My, my, my wife, she came from a Christian family. Her father was a leader in the church. But I, I'm, I'm the first one. I'm, I'm the pagan that got saved. And I'm saying, no, no, together we're going to build a spiritual dynasty. Something is going to happen that's going to cascade for decade after decade after decade. And we are here to do that. And so we... We, we, from a small age, we, we started to train our children to become Holy Ghost terrorists. We began to sh show them, look, when you wake up in the morning, the devil's going to put diapers on. He's going to be so nervous that you're alive and walking about. Now, some, some of you get intimidated by that language. Oh, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go, you know, nasty with the devil. He'll get really nasty with me. Like, you don't know who you are then, do you? No, no, I'm a child of God. I have the son of the risen God living inside of me. I have the power of the blood that protects me. No weapon formed against me can prosper. It can try, but it can't prosper. It can't overcome. It can't succeed unless I let it. No, no, no. I know who I am. Do you know who you are? Do you know, do you know what God wants to do with your family? So We have a boy in London feels a deep call to the secular music industry he's there every day sharing his faith it's awesome it's awesome he's finding in london a lot of the professional musicians are black 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 backslidden christians he says oh dad i i'm taking them for rides everywhere so they can't get out of the car <laughs> they have nowhere to go <laughs> what do you want what do you want for your family? If you're newly married, what, what's your marriage all about? 
Yeah, enjoy one another. That's a part of the plan. But it's got to be more than us, right? We have to have a destiny. We have to have a purpose. We have to have a reason. See, God has put us together as a unit. God has put us together as a terrorist unit to the kingdom of darkness that we blow it to smithereens and we bring hope and goodness and love and kindness and mercy and grace into people's lives. That's the plan. What do we want for this church? Let me tell you, the vision is too small. Even if we fill this room six times on a weekend, it's too small. There's too many people outside. There's way too many people outside. So that can't be the gig, right? That can't be, that can't, that can be a part of the gig, but it can't, it can't be the sole objective of having a congregation like this and having a facility that God has blessed you. It can't be just to fill the room five or six times on a weekend. It has to be bigger than that. Like, what is the 100-year plan for this church? <laughs> what kind of city do you want this to be 100 years from now? We're making plans now. We're doing stuff now that are going to change things 100 years from now. When John Calvin went to Geneva 400 years ago, he radically changed that city in such a way. He changed the economic situation, the political situation, the, the spiritual situation, the educational situation, so much. When he went there, Geneva was the dirtiest, filthiest, most corrupt city in Europe. I don't know if you know anything about Geneva. You definitely can't say that about Geneva today. And the marks of Calvin 400 years later are all over that city. There are some laws that he passed that are still entrenched in that city that are there because he says, no, this is godly, this is right, this is honorable, this is true. We have to pass this. We have to get this in the study book because this is how wholesome we can make this city. So I'm hoping, this is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping there are people in this room tonight that you're going to feel a call to politics. I'm hoping some of you are actually going to feel a call to business. I'm hoping some of you are going to feel a call to education. I'm hoping somebody will have such a call to education, you'll get your bachelor's degree, you get your master's degree, you do your PhD. You're going to write an amazing PhD theory of education. It's going to be so mind-blowing. You're going to work for a few years, but Washington are going to beg you to come to instruct every state in the nation how to have Biblical worldview entrenched into the curriculum so that it becomes whole again. They're going to understand we're broken because we've booted out biblical worldview out of our church, out of our education system. But I'm hoping somebody will get this message. Somebody, in, and you know what? That, that is a 25-year journey. Look, let me help you. Jesus is not coming soon. That's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? You're going to have to pay off your credit card. <laughs> no, he's not coming soon. Not coming anytime soon. Well, look, let me just give you one verse. I can give many verses. Let me give you one verse. Matthew 24, and verse 10. It says, the end will come when the gospel of this kingdom 
is preached. And that doesn't mean spoken. It means entrenched. It means witnessing. There's a vibrant community of faith amongst every ethnic group. It says every nation, every ethnic group on the planet. So right now, there are 7,239 ethnic groups on the planet that can't say no to Jesus because they don't even know his name. Look, this ain't going to happen next week. We've got a bit of a run at this. Yeah, live in the light that Jesus may come soon, but can you plan a little more seriously than that? <laughs> can you get a little more strategic than that? Can you, can, can you begin to govern your life in a way that you actually see decadal, God's a God of generations. We have to think generationally. Oh, look at this. The devil's making my clock go very fast. Let me say this last thing. He prayed in chapter 1. God answered in chapter 2. The unexpected can happen. The unbelievable can happen. And then the unplanned happens. <laughs> because the king said to him, not, not just how can I help you, but I'm going to help you. Not how can I help? I'm going to help you. Now, I know some of you are control freaks, right? So you don't like spontaneous, unplanned things happening. You're just control freaks. Yeah? Why are you looking so serious? I'm only telling you the truth. You like everything mapped out. The calendar's all mapped out. I'm going to breathe three times then. And I wiggle my finger then. You like it all planned out. But the Bible says people are born of the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. It's what, it's what the Bible says. People are born of the Spirit. They're like the wind. You don't know where they've come from, and you don't know where they've gone, but you know they've been. Are you a being person? When you brush people's lives, are you carrying something that they can't quantify where it is, but they know it's good, and they know it's fantastic, and they wouldn't mind getting a bit of it they can't put jesus on it because that doesn't register in their heads yet but you are a holy ghost person you're a bean person and but when he prayed in chapter when he prayed in chapter one god did the unplanned in chapter two so one of the things that we do in in communities right across europe there was one community in romania it was um 98 unemployment 98 unemployment the feeling of hopelessness is tangible as you go into that community. It felt absolutely obnoxious to go in just preaching. When we understood some of the particular needs in that community, one of the needs was mothers every night. Mothers every night had to make this decision. Do I give my baby a bottle or do I give them a diaper because I can't afford to do both? I want to tell you the feelings, the feelings of injustice just rises up. And so we contacted a group. We contacted, we contacted a group, say, can you source some, some diapers for us? They said, yeah, we can do that. And, and it's a really interesting group of people. And as we told this group, yeah, we can help you. And so over the last three years, we've taken in 150,000 diapers. But as we got to know this group, they're quite an interesting group. They, 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 they feed feed bank. They, feed, they provide for food banks all over the U.K., and as they're kind of doing this, one day the, the, 
the head guy comes into the office and says, I had a dream. I had a dream last night. We've got to go and help the people in Liberia. We've got to go and help the people in Liberia. And so the staff says, but do you know anybody in Liberia? He says, no, I don't, I don't know anybody in Liberia. He says, I'm thinking God must know somebody in Liberia. Because <laughs> like, otherwise you wouldn't have said that to me, right? So he says to his personal assistant, can you ring the Liberian embassy? Sure, sure. What, what are you going to say when they answer the phone? He said, I have no idea. We'll just see what happens. So rings, someone picks up the phone. Hello, it's Liberian Embassy, London. He says, oh, my name is Trevor. He says, um, I know that you've come to the end of a civil war in your country, and I'm, I'm a humanitarian organization, and this may sound strange to you, but I'm feeling God wants us to bring some truckloads of aid into your country to help your people. And the guy on the other side said, praise the Lord, brother. The only Christian in the Liberian embassy, right? And so he says, he says, can you come down and meet the ambassador? He says, yeah, sure, I can come down and meet the ambassador. Can you come Friday? Yeah, I'll come Friday. So they went down there, go into the, this palatial room in the embassy. It's absolutely palatial. I, you know, you're almost frightened to sit on the furniture. You feel you're sitting on thousands of pounds. of. Anyway, they talk. Say, yeah, can you help me? We know it's difficult to get stuff in. There's a lot of paperwork. Can you help me with the paperwork? Yeah, we can do all that. And so as they uh, come into the end of the conversation, God says to Trevor, he says, I want you to fill this embassy with five-star furniture. <laughs> well, he looks around the room. You can't get anything else in this room, right? You just can't get anything else in this room. But... And he's slowly walking to the door, and his feeling is growing stronger. So he says, Ambassador, I, I just got this feeling. I don't know how you feel about this, but I got this feeling that maybe I should fill this embassy with five-star furniture. The guy opens his mouth and goes, that is incredible. He says, why is it incredible? He says, oh, my predecessor before me, he sold all the furniture in every room except the room that we met in today. There's no furniture in the rest of this building. In fact, I, didn't, I don't have a bed. I sleep on the floor on a mattress. He says, you're a prophet from God, aren't you? He says, no, 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 I'm Trevor. <laughs> I'm Trevor. You see, as we pray, the unplanned can happen. Are you ready? Because I think we're done. Are you ready? As we pray... The unplanned can happen. As we pray, the unexpected can happen. As we pray, God will work on our behalf so that his glory will be manifested and seen. And so if you're out of that rhythm of connecting with Jesus, get the P-R-A-Y going. Even if you do it five, six, seven minutes a day, start the P-R-A-Y. Just do that before you leave the house or in the car or do something. If you have a prayer language... Boom, shut the car, begin to speak in down. Get prayer going because God wants to invade Florence and this county and this community and he can only do it with a praying group of people and you are the people that he has chosen. God bless you in Jesus' name.